welcome to the GFT podcast, Your Immutable Future. We're going to be speaking all about uh, NFTs today, and I am joined here today by Antoine uh, Schmidt, um, who's a digital artist, and Julien Donnet, who's um, a DLT SME uh, based in Switzerland, uh, who's working at GFT. Welcome to the show, guys, um, and thanks for coming on. So uh, really, really interesting topic. I'm looking forward to this discussion a lot. Uh, so maybe, maybe come back to you, Antoine, and I'd like to say thank you for, for joining. Um, I, I, really, I really like the stuff that you've been doing. Um, I've, you know, Julian has just shown me some of this and it looks very exciting. I suppose one of the things that, that maybe I think about is, you know, coming from an artist's point of view, which is really interesting to us, is as an artist who creates digital art, what do you think are really the core benefits of using NFTs um, to be able to, uh, you know, sell ownership to your, to your, to your art? Um, yes, so um, actually digital art has been around for quite some time and has been uh, being sold for quite some, some time. But NFT really brings something about uh, trust for the buyer, actually. This is really uh, the main interest for us uh, digital artists, because up, up to now, when um, when a collector, for example, wanted to buy an artwork, which was a like a program or a digital image or even a movie, uh, there was always the the issue that uh, actually the artwork could be duplicated and uh, the notion of unicity uh, for the collector was a real subject. Uh, what am I buying? Uh, anybody can have a copy and and uh, well, NFT of course bring, of course brings the idea of uh, digital signature, unique ownership and the ability to resell the work afterwards uh, for this uh, rarity. And so uh, it created a new, for us, a digital artist, it created a new um, market in a way of people who now trust uh, the act of buying a digital artwork. And so it opens a new uh, really selling market for us. That's uh, that's very interesting. I I suppose that having having more markets and having more security around your markets is 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 always going to be better for you because it means that you you have more clients who who want to buy your art potentially, right? So think about maybe the market more in general. How do you think things are moving, uh, Julian? In do you think we're kind of getting past the initial hype um, that we had around NFTs? Is it is it leveling out? How do you feel that? Um, you know, where, where are we now, I suppose, is, is the question. Uh, thank you for the question, David. Um, so first, I would like to, to just notice that NFTs are actually quite old. They date back to 2016 with uh, the spell of Genesis game, to be, uh, to be perfectly precise about it. And as such, it's not like really something which erupted in 2021, right? But what happened during the first quarter of the year was a lot of media coverage, a lot of traffic on Google, a lot of posts on LinkedIn, and especially this culminated in the sale of the people artwork at Christie's for more than 60 million. Now what we see is that indeed the hype is uh, dying out. There is less fuss about it on the different social media, but at the same time, the sales volumes are uh, remaining quite strong. The Q2 in 2021, uh, is actually stronger than the Q1, 
And the month of June was the best month in terms of sales for OpenSea, which is one of the main uh, NFT marketplaces. So my take on it would be that it's the, the use case of NFTs has actually consolidated around a few specific topics like collectibles, collectibles and sports, for instance, which have faced a tremendous um, growth this year. And maybe it has faded a bit away in some other aspects. But in my opinion, it remains very strong and um, I remain very optimistic about NFTs in the future. And especially now we also see some institutional players which are entering the market to, uh, to, to experiment with it. So it's, it's a matter of less media, which is natural, and more uh, consolidations about um, around some specific use cases, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I suppose it's kind of mature, the, the market is, is maturing a little bit, I suppose, uh, in, in, in general. And it's, it's, it's interesting your point that the NFT is as, as, a, as, a, as a protocol has been around for, for quite a while, but it just got a lot of attention uh, this year, which is, which is great. And it's great to see blockchain and DLT getting more attention um, in, in general. So, so one thing that I, what, that I thought, saw that was quite interesting, Antoine, is that um, you have your NF NFTs on the, on the marketplace. I think it's, uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this properly, but heitnuk.xyz. Uh, uh, which is based on the uh, Tezos blockchain. What was um, your motivation for uh, for using that marketplace compared to maybe other uh, marketplaces which are on other networks like I don't know Ethereum, Cardano, um, et cetera, et cetera? Um, well, actually, it was for three reasons. Uh, the first one was that there was a real um, uh, artistic community actually on this uh, Ikendunk uh, website uh, with a lot of um, other artists which I know and uh, that I respect a lot. So it was for me an incentive to, to go there like for the artistic community. Uh, the second one was the cost of minting, uh, very simply, because uh, the Tezos uh, blockchain is a proof of uh, stake uh, blockchain which on which minting is really cheap. It's less one than one dollar, for example, to mint uh, an NFT. So uh, this was another reason. And the third one, which is quite important too, is ex uh, the fact that it is a proof of stake uh, blockchain and uh, the environmental uh, impact is a lot less... Uh, uh, strong than on uh, proof-of-work proof of um, blockchains, uh, like a million times less. So um, even though the Ether, Ether um, blockchain is going to be proof-of-stake someday, maybe, while all the other artistic NFT marketplaces were on, on Ether or other blockchains. So... So these three reasons uh, made me choose uh, this this Tezos and Inkenunk um, workplace. Yes, it's, it's it's funny that with with regarding the, the last point, I think um, in, in a conference there was a, sp a speech by uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin, and he said that even at the start when Ethereum was going live uh, or go getting really popular in 2015, they still understood that proof of work was not really ideal for them and they were planning how to move away from proof of work because of the energy efficiency 
um, problems that it was causing. So I think they've been, they have definitely been thinking about the problems with proof of work for a long time and planning how they can move away from it. And it would, ju it just surprised me how long they have been thinking about moving away to different solutions like proof of stake, for example. It's something that it's interesting how it, um, how long it's taken for Ethereum, but I suppose it's just because of the amount of use that 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 it has at the moment and the amount of uh, the amount of people that there are in the network that are using it, it's very complicated to migrate um, something like that. So yeah, so I suppose um, another thing that is kind of interesting is that in certain jurisdictions, depending on the on the law, you might have to have a physical legal contract, depending on what it is that you're buying, or, or a picture of it, for example, put on IPFS or a digital contract that you sign that's uploaded, for example, be a DocuSign. Um, but but in some jurisdictions, you still need to have a physical contract, which is in the um, in the smart contract. Do you think, Julian, that we'll ever kind of globally be in a position where we don't need to have these physical legal contracts in place, or is this something that maybe you know not really possible? So I think that it depends on the horizon. In the next ten years, pretty sure that this will not go. This will not happen. But later, maybe. I mean. The, the whole world is going in the direction of autom automation and uh, uh, business efficiency. So this is for sure something that will be explored in the future. However, today, uh, a fully automated contract processing uh, solution has to face a lot of different legal difficulties connected to the translation of the natural contract language into code. So for instance, in contract uh, wording, usually uh, we have words such as an important reason or good faith and so on, which actually cannot be really translated to code because it's always subject to interpretation from the different parties which are signing the contract, right? So this is one of the difficulties. The, another one could be as well the fact that a smart contract could be incomplete from the very beginning uh, in the sense that it does not contain the provisions needed for a particular unforeseen situation, for instance. And another one could be the fact that there could be also changes in the law between the creation of the smart contract, the deployment, and the actual enforcement of a specific clause in the smart contract. As, as you probably know, the smart contracts are supposed to be immutable, and as such, it's, it will be difficult to amend it in the future in case there is a need. But there might be a few solutions for that. The first one that I can mention is the usage, the usage of oracles to feed the contracts with dynamic real-world conditions or uh, to make some part of the contract a little bit more flexible. There could be also some kind of um, backdoors to be able to alter the smart contracts. But then what's really the use of this of using a smart contract if you have a backdoor in it, right? So uh, at, that, at that point in time, better to just use a physical contract, I guess. So in any case, I think it's clear that some kind of flexibility and interpretation mechanic is necessary to be able to leverage a fully automated uh, digital contract but today we are still quite far from it. Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's it's interesting that um, like global, glo you know, big global law firms um, are putting in a lot of like DLA Piper and Linklaters, especially, um, are putting in a lot of effort into the into the blockchain space and trying to make that 
translation, as you said, between liability in in in, in the real world and liability in in, in smart contracts, um, and working with and having working groups around that. And I think as that evolves, then potentially we will have you know smart contracts represented in law that are also represented in a smart contract, and it'll become a kind of maybe almost a kind of standard that we can uh, that we can use. Um, but I don't, I don't I agree with you. I don't think we're we're there yet. Um, and I agree with you around the timelines as well on on that. Um, so maybe um, finish off because I know we're almost at time now. Um, so what what do you think are the most? Um, and this is open to everyone, really. Maybe I'll comments on a few later. Uh, which which do you think are the most maybe imaginative or interesting or even bizarre uses of NFTs that you've seen as of today? I can think of a few myself. I don't know. If anyone wants to comment on some interesting ones that, that they've seen, there's, there's certainly quite a lot of different ones. Well, on, on my on my side, on the artistic side, I, I think uh, uh, one really interesting aspect of the NFT is that um, uh, it's possible to put uh, in the smart contract clauses that uh, like uh, like entries that um, uh, will allow from for redistribution of uh, of the price of the selling price of the the artwork even on the second and third market um, like for example uh, some artists have uh, most of the smart of the smart contracts of the nfts artistic nfts already include a 10 percent um, fee for the artist, the original artist, even if the artwork is resold after. And uh, this is really new actually in the art world because it's not really existing. Uh, it's, it's in, in some countries like France, it exists, but it's, uh, it's uh, usually bypassed or not really enforced and so on. But uh, if it's written down in the smart contract itself, then the artist uh, gets 10% even if the artwork is resold like a long time later and for a lot of more money. And this is really strong. And this concept can be pushed even further where the in the contract it, uh, money can be like uh, uh, given to uh, the gallery which uh, sold to the producer that produced the artwork uh, or even to um, uh, charities or foundations. Uh, the, for example, software foundations. Uh, there are a lot of talks about uh, in, in the artistic world about like giving some money to the artistic, no, to, sorry, to the uh, software foundations like free software uh, that helped uh, create the artwork. Um, so uh, the 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 notion of redistribution of money uh, on the long term uh, can really change uh, something really strongly. Uh, in the art market, but it could be even extended to uh, more wide uh, subjects like social subjects, like uh, like uh, economical subjects. And uh, I think this is really, really interesting. Antoine, I will re rebound on your proposition because mine also leverages the same royalty incentive that exists in the NFT's uh, smart contracts. And actually, this example comes from a personal observation. So I was always uh, a big fan of gaming. I uh, was buying video games in physical format since I am 10 years old or something. And in the last 10 years, I saw that there, is, that there was a very strong um, drive into you know, the 
selling of games on digital marketplaces without any physical copy. So people are just connecting to Steam or to the Play Store and buying a game for 60 euros, but they don't own the physical copy of the game. And the main problem with this is that it kills completely the second-hand market. So now you are buying a game, you, you, you play it, and then you cannot sell it anymore to anybody, you cannot lend it, and as such, it's very good for the, the, the vendors because they sell more games and they uh, don't experience the fact that people are just sharing those games. But for the customer, it's quite a pain because then you are stuck with something that you paid 60 euros and you cannot do anything with it anymore once it's finished. So some companies are actually trying to push the narrative of selling the games as an NFT and that uh, when the player finishes the game, she can sell it on a secondary market to another guy. And the, um, the editor of the game will still get some revenue out of it because of this 10% or 50% royalty that comes afterwards. And then this provides value to everybody, right? It provides value to the customer, it provides value to the platform and to the software provider which has created the game and to the artists that also were involved in the game itself. So this would be maybe uh, a solution for completely digital game retail, but at the same time with uh, still a, second, a secondary market which exists. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think um, I think maybe from my side, I think there's been quite a few of interesting things like um, for example, uh, the the first tweet on Twitter uh, from uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, for example, uh, going on sale. I thought that was quite interesting. How to kind of commercialize or or, or make an offer around that? I think it that got up to something like two point nine billion, uh, which is surprising, really. Uh, but but still, um, and uh, there's been a few other different things as well. Um, but I think. Um, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the more interesting stuff has definitely been on the on 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 the complicated uh, slightly more complicated use cases like you have mentioned about how we uh, can resell the 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 artworks in uh, in the secondary uh, in the secondary market and that's uh, that's something that I think is uh, is hopefully being being looked at before. I would say that like even quite big bands uh, are quite you know or big you know large artists for example like Kings of Leon for example you know, huge pop pop bands are getting into NFTs. So I think in the future we, we may well see, you know, big game companies or, or you know large uh, record companies, for example. I know that we've been speaking with some record companies. We'll also get into this market in a way of being able to sell something exclusively and also for the resale uh, value, as you said before. So that's a really interesting, uh, really interesting point and uh, and something that I think we'll probably see more of in the future. So I think that's that's all. Um, I'd just like to say thank you very much for. Um, from my guest today, uh, Julien Donnet, um, a GFT, and Anton uh, Schmidt. And please check out Antoine's uh, work. It's, it's uh, excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, tune in for the next um, episode of Your Immutable Future at GF on GFT's podcast. Uh, thank, you for, thank you for joining. Thank you.